Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. So welcome to this episode, and I have three guests today. Uh, let me start off with Kim Carter, who is the superintendent of Battle Creek Public Schools here in Michigan. Uh, she's joined today with Lauren Clark, who is the uh, CEO of Bergquist, who are a propane parts distributor, and she's third generation family business. And and then Scott McFarland, who is the CEO of Honor Credit Union, based here in Southwest Michigan, and uh, with uh, has grown from being about two hundred million in assets to one point six million in assets under his leadership, and expanded dramatically. And and this is episode comes from a question that Scott asked during a coaching session, which is, as the CEO, when is my voice loud versus helpful? And I had a couple of coaching sessions within that same week with Kim and Lauren, and they all had the same question. And so uh, apart from having good conversations in the coaching session, I figured it would be good to get us all together and see what we could come up with. So here is the conversation about, as a leader, when is my voice loud Versus when's it helpful? Scott, I'm going to start with you purely because you started with the question. Why were you asking that question in the first place? Uh, so I'm always self-aware or try to be self-aware. I won't, I'm not always self-aware. I try to be self-aware of uh, my amplification um, of my position. Um, uh, Lauren and Kim, I'm sure you run into the same things, but uh, I'm not a big, big title person. So I probably downplay the title, but my voice comes with the title. And as we have new team members coming on board, we're building, we've hired some very, very, um, some great additions to our team. We have some great people on our team and I want to see them excel. And I'm, I'm, but there's changes that come with an organization and going from 25,000 members to now 107,000 members going from four counties to covering the state of Michigan and some of Indiana um, how do I, my challenge is how am I influencing without, um, silencing voices of up and coming leaders because they see the voice of the CEO impacting maybe what they would have said or something they may have an idea. So, um, part of it's coming as we bring new teams together and those teams grow. Uh, it's really, I think it's cool to see people, um, do great things. And I want to make sure that I don't ever impede that. And some of the changes that are happening right now, I feel like I have a voice that I want to share, but I'm cautious on putting it out there uh, right away. So it's that sense of I, however humble you are as the senior leader, the CEO or the superintendent, you know, as we go across here, that, that however humble you are, other people see an amplified voice because of the title after your name. And that loudness, especially if you've got an idea you want to share, can often turn an idea into an instruction. Mm -hmm. uh, the, Very quickly. Uh, about a day after Scott and I were talking, Laura and I were talking about the same thing because uh, we had the same kind of conversation. So um, you're in a different world, Lauren, and probably multiplied because not only the CEO, but the family in the yeah. So 
I often try to remind anyone who's family um, in the business that what, regardless of your title, because of your uh, DNA, you have a leadership role or you have an impact on everybody that you have to be kind of mindful and aware of. Um, I think our conversation, David, was around that I had um, actually when I was in high school, I was part of a leadership group and I realized that I was, um, as Scott put it, too loud. Um, people looked to me and I answered or gave advice or coached people. And I really worked hard to change that behavior, to listen, um, help summarize, help bring out the voices that I knew were there, but people were being quiet, but I knew they had value to add. Um, and I worked hard to change my own role, um, and how I behaved in a leadership group or in any group. Um, and then when I came into my current role, I suddenly had a sort of concern that people thought my silence was um, not having anything to add or not being able to contribute. Um, and so I kind of had to figure out the balance um, as we're talking here about when is it useful to speak and when uh, is it too loud? And I think we also, David touched on as my dad is moving towards retirement, um, he obviously has lots of great things to say. He has a ton of experience. And so Often he's quick to respond when a question comes up or an idea is posed because he has something great to say. But the minute he speaks, everyone else stops speaking because then it's like, oh, the master has spoken and um, people kind of shut down. So, you know, he and I have been working on that balance, too, of you have great things to contribute. And there are times where it's really helpful to have someone with, you know, 30 years of industry knowledge step in and say something. Um, but it's also often very important to not speak so that the other up and coming leaders voices can be heard to the extent that uh, what did you tell him in a recent meeting nobody's talking to you i think was i think i said something along the lines as uh he wasn't talking to you or that question wasn't asked of you um so in other words shut up dad yes yeah <laughs> so and, and so um it's that that framing again of uh, how do I learn? Because because you went to the oh I'm going to be quieter then and listen and do those things, but then I I worry that people don't see me as having an opinion or don't see the value that I could bring because I've got a wealth of experience, and and so this is why we're asking this question: is how do we craft the judgment to know when? And hopefully Scott will pop back in again in in a minute, but so so Kim. From your perspective, how's you know how do you come about this? When's my voice loud versus helpful? Well, you know, I think you know as I listen, it's very similar to what everyone else is saying. And um, what first comes to mind is my voice is most helpful when it motivates, inspire, and inspires, right, and creates um, new thinking and in other individuals. Um, I think about I try to lead from the space of it's about we and not me. And um, so how do I use my voice to create collective efficacy? And when that doesn't happen, I think it's too loud when individuals are beginning to retreat within themselves and not utilize their own minds to create new change. Um, and you can see that happening in the room. And that's when you know that you've got to kind of pause and take a step back. So and I, I like what you just framed up there. I, I use my voice when it motivates, inspires, or creates new thinking. And and I think you've probably all experienced that, that when you've said something and everybody shuts up, 
that's when you realize that you've probably been too loud. Yes. Would that be fair? Yeah. So, so then how do, what, what have you all done to tune into that? If it's my voice is best when it motivates, inspires and creates new thinking, what tactics have you developed to do more of that? And what do you do to stop the other stuff, which jumps in and gives instruction? Honestly, I think for me, it's it's when you do more listening than you do talking and so that you can truly understand where people are and um, what's getting in the way of their success. That doesn't come from you talking at them, but instead from listening to them. So spending a lot more time in that space. But then that it creates a tension with what Lauren was saying is that if I listen too much, then am I not bringing value? which is the other end of our continuum. I think that there is a balance in that part of it is people sort of realize that team dynamic over time or understand you as a leader. Um, I tend to try to, like Kim was saying, when you're listening, take some notes. I try to really read people, pay attention to who's not talking um, so that I can, you know, I think in addition to inspiring and motivating, I try to draw out quiet voices or unheard voices. Um, and I try to constantly summarize and bring consensus to what people are saying, um, repeat what I've heard to make sure that everyone heard it the same way so people can clarify um, a lot of that kind of alignment work um, when I am in a listening role and wait to say anything sort of to the end. Or um, I know we've experienced this, David, sometimes in our leadership where it's kind of bringing people back in. Things get sometimes a little uh, off track or we go down a rabbit hole and just kind of bringing everyone um, back to the conversation that's in front of us. So listen, 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 and then try to speak last. Yeah. Oh, Scott. And I think that uh, part of that context is I think Lauren and Kim bring up some great examples. And, you know, part of that is the motivation part. It's, it's sometimes, sometimes I, if I don't want them to be motivated to move a direction, I have learned to make the statement. I'm not asking for action. I'm asking for clarification because I don't understand because there is an assumption that they think, you know, everything that's going on sometimes. And uh, this is not an action. I'm speaking from the, I don't understand and help me understand um, perspective. And then I also take into account the fact that I'm receiving whatever they're saying I'm receiving from my perspective. So I try to think, okay, where are they coming from? What, where are, where is their, um, where is their drive? Where is their intent? And is there even intent? So it is really understanding that I may not be walking in their shoes, even though I may jump to an, I have to be cautious not to jump to an assumption of walking in their shoes, because in reality, I'm quite far away from that. And I'm receiving it in my shoes and they're not walking in mine either. So uh, it's that, it's that communicate and then ask those questions of, did I understand? And then the other part too, that I've learned is this is what I heard. <laughs> um, and that again, with caution, because sometimes if you say, this is what I heard, how do I make sure that maybe that's a question here is how do I make sure when I say that it doesn't create an action statement and people say, Oh, well, if that's what he heard, that's what we should do. Um, that's, <laughs> So I, I then have to ask, like Lauren said, I, I kind of watch the room and I watch and sometimes I'll just say, hey, Lauren, help me. under. Do, does that make sense where I'm coming from? I'm lucky because I have some very um, intelligent um, 
uh, I'll say, um, confident individuals that will pretty much come out and say, no, Scott, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> so and I'm like, oh, great. I'm not in your shoes and I completely don't understand. So let's do it a different way. So, um, so that- I do take I take notes. I notice myself if I start to feel like, oh, I think I got to chime in here. I start writing questions down before I say anything more so. Uh, and I've, I'll come back to my summary of what I, I feel people are saying in a, in a second, but just to build on one thing you just said there, Scott, you've, you've got people in your direct report team who you know will challenge you. Yeah. And so that's that's one thing. The Achilles heel there is when they're not in the room and maybe you're in a room with the people beneath them, that doubles down the amplification. And those people are less likely to challenge you than you know, your number two, for example. Yeah, that is possible at times, yes. That, <laughs> and that's where that's where the original question came from because I sent an observation out and it created action. And in my mind, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. That, I don't want to waste anybody's time. I don't want them to commit to a direction. I was just like, hey, this is what I saw. And it immediately put wheels in action um, and then one of my peers came back and said, uh, so this is what your information created. I'm like, oh. So then, you know, I've heard, listen, uh, in humanity language, close the loop, which is summarize your understanding of what people just said, really empathize and step into their shoes, withhold judgment, uh, try to speak last so that you don't you know, direct things in, the, in certain place. And, and then if you are speaking, make sure you frame what you're saying uh, with the context, that, that this is an observation, this is a thought, this is not an instruction kind of thing. And then surround yourself with people who will naturally tell you when you're wrong or you're speaking out of order. What else would you add? What else have you found from your experience makes sense? As I was listening to my colleagues, I was thinking about um, the context of, you know, creating a culture where silence is not an option. And um, and what I mean by that is in team meetings and things like that, I, I feel like my team recognizes and understands that they can't just be quiet. Um, I'm going to call you into the conversation because this is about all of us being problem solvers and then not feeling the need to feel the void when there is silence because often that's where the tension lies and they have to be challenged to then create their own change so understanding when it's okay to talk and when it is okay to speak last and and let silence rule and and so that silence because i'm a big fan of silence in conversations because it gives people a chance to think and um but what you're saying there is to create a culture where disengagement is not allowed. So, so you can't just be a bystander. Right. Yeah. Lauren, what would you add? Um, I was just going to add that even inviting um, differing opinions, I think that, you know, that's happened quite a bit, especially in our larger team is that I often, if I am sharing or we've come to an idea or, a semi-decision as our core leadership team to say, like, here's what we've got, but give me all the other points of view. Um, We obviously, there was a lot of that during COVID because so many people had different feelings and opinions about everything, Um, but constantly inviting people to have a different opinion because, you know, we really do represent our entire company, all of our teams. And, 
if if somebody has a differing voice than me, they're probably not the only one. So if you hear it and you know it, you know, tell me so that we can work through that and figure out even if we're not going to change the decision or the opinion or the path we're going down, we know that these other views exist and we can address that and communicate about why we're doing what we're doing so that people still feel heard and validated um, in their own thoughts and opinions. And I almost always, if somebody um, publicly disagrees with me in a meeting, I almost always call them after and thank them for doing that. Um, because I think that it's important. I think people afterwards sometimes go, did I really just do that in the middle of the meeting? Um, everyone except my dad, I do not thank him if he disagrees with me in a meeting. I know we've talked about that before. We have a very um, serious, please don't, you know, if we have disagreements, we need to have those offline so they don't um, cause confusion. Um, but yeah, I have definitely called people and thanked them for having the courage to disagree with me um, in front of everyone, because I think that that, again, encourages people to be willing to do so. And I've had clients that have, have created a role in some meetings where they've said, who's going to play the devil's advocate today? You get the the label and we're expecting you to be contradictory because and then that gives permission for the contradiction. Um, and then the other thing, as you were talking, I, I heard something a, a while ago that uh, a leader was saying, well, I want to put forward my idea, but I want people to feel free to criticize it. And so they purposely built in things to their idea that were wrong. So they could say, well, this is my idea. And already I can see something I don't like. Uh, what else do you see that could be better? And so it opened the door to give permission and encouragement for people to knock down the the boss's idea if it was a situation where the the boss was actually presenting the idea so i, I appreciate that list of uh, and some of those ideas and it's uh was easier solved than i expected it to be what other advice would you give as you three play through this in in different roles but being the lonely one at the top Nothing. We've drained you all of uh, of all your ideas. I feel like you've covered. We've kind of covered it, right? It's it's better. Less is more in leadership, and um, I guess I would say that one of the things that I truly work hard to do is make sure that I show up as a thought partner and not seen as the sole uh, problem solver, right? And so, what are the actions you have to take to make sure that people recognize that? You're, you're a thought partner, you're not going to give them the answers. And one of the strategies that I use is just to ask more questions, right? What do you think? <laughs> How do you think you should solve that? My favorite question. Yes. So so I, that thought partner idea, I, I'll add to my list there as I, I summarize. What do you do if you uh, are seeing, some, seeing your group or the people you're working with going down that path and you're thinking, oh no, we did this five years ago and it failed miserably. How do you deal with that with your voice? Scott? So we, we have a little bit that can happen because uh, as you bring new people to the team, you know, they don't have historic history of the organization. Um, not that it's, and, and you don't want to live in, you know, I'm not a fan of living in, in the past by any means, but if you don't learn from it, then you're destined to repeat it somewhere along the way. So, um, and really what it comes, I think, I think Kim hit on it there a little bit is that it is that question. And, and cause there's a, a variable, you know, one of my team members has been on there 17, she's been with me for with the organization 17 years. 
And she has a lot of knowledge, even beyond mine. Um, and I, what I challenge is, is if you, if you hear things, please be the one. So some of that amplification can be reduced. If one of them says, Hey, um, if you, do you guys recall, we tried this before and this was the outcome. So let's take a step here and say, what are we doing differently? Because if the outcome wasn't what we were trying to achieve, then we don't want to go down that path again. Um, and then the other part is it is what it's asking that question, like, Oh, somewhere help me out here. Does somebody else remember we've done this before we've been in this, in this path. And I recall the outcome being this. So I want to proceed before we go forward, let's proceed with caution and take a step and pause. And there's your silence. And even some of that, um, bringing some knowledge to the table. Cause usually when you do something like that, what I find is people jump in that may not have contributed to the idea or the direction and say, Hey, yeah, I need to better understand why we would go that way. Why would we do that? So um, I, I, part of it is that, that clarity of understanding. And some of that comes with not in a group atmosphere. I mean, we've been talking about a group atmosphere. Some of that comes with investing as a leader and a communicator with your peers one-to-one kind of like what Lauren talks about. It sounds like she gets to do that with her dad. Um, it's that one-to-one saying, Hey, if to prevent this, prevent my voice from overwhelming it, do you, can you help? <clears throat> can you help? Um, can you see where, do you see what I see? So we've played that game before. Do you see what I see? And it's very interesting. I used to do it with my kids. Like, uh, do you see the 12 dirty dishes sitting on the counter? Because I do. And they're like, no, I didn't see those till just now. Um, and some of it is, do you see what I see? Do you see the things that are happening within the organization? And what do you see? Because that, again, puts them in each other, puts us in each other's shoes. We walk together instead of somebody running out ahead. Um, David, you've explained a few times, sometimes you're driving 80 and everybody else is driving 60. Um, that doesn't necessarily build a team environment. So it is that one-to-one investing in one-to-one communication um, with each other. So there's alignment and even the agreement to disagree. There's times that people have taken things in and I people look to me, they'll present something and people look over me like, oh, Scott's not going for this. There's no way. And I don't say anything because we've already aligned and I know where we're going and I can see the bigger picture. So I think the Japanese call that nemawashi, which is the meeting before the meeting. And it's the idea that you you make sure you have the one-on-ones before you go into the big meeting so that you've the big meeting goes well. And hmm. and you're talking about, hey, I could do that with my team, feel them out, see what's going on, push some of my ideas in that environment where I am in a trusted environment where I know I'll get pushback so that then when I go into the larger group, I may not need my voice to be there in order to get the messages across that I, uh, that I think are important. Yeah. We just had an example of that. We're doing some due diligence on some technology. And my answer was not what some of my peers would have expected, but the person that's leading it, she and I had talked and had clear communication. So my voice needed to be, Nope, this is where we are. And somebody came like, really, that's where you are. I'm like, <laughs> I need my voice to say that's where we are. Otherwise people think they're just going through the motions because they understand that I do have there is decisions. There are certain things that, that you have, you have to have it, right? There's certain things you have to have a certain level of veto power on. So the organization doesn't go the wrong direction. Um, this isn't one of them right now because we need the team to really dive in and do the work. And they need to understand that I'm diving in and doing the work too. 
and I'm going to get out of their way. Which is interesting as to when the rest of the team needs your voice to be loud. And so the team can come and say, no, we need you to back this because we need the amplification of your voice. And, you know, I think Lauren's just gone through a situation like that with a, a software change. And there's a few people that probably said, no, Lauren, we need you to be the the cheerleader for this because we know it's going to be painful. Is that fair? Yeah, I was actually going to add that earlier. And, you know, when is your voice useful is if it's bringing the calm to the storm. Um, I think that that happens quite a bit where, you know, people start getting revved up, you know, whether it's a big deal or something kind of smaller, but um, bringing the calm, bringing clarity to, okay, what are the actual issues? Let's just get them out there and talk through it. Um so, you know, calm and just energy in general, you know, what energy you bring, um, whether it's actual voice or um, just your demeanor, I think is is loud and it, it really sets a tone. So um, I try my best to bring the calm and the positivity um, and reserve, you know, when I don't have that or when I need to find calm that I have my outlets to go to to get my calm from so that my team doesn't... Um, get the uncalm version. Uh, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do for our leadership team is be a space where they can kind of unravel if they need to, and then, you know, bring the calm back to the situation. So that, that loud voice that is bringing calm is actually really useful. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because if our original question was, uh, when's it useful versus when's it you know, too loud? Um, we've talked about, you know, making sure we're, we're overly listening. We're summarizing what we're hearing, that we're, uh, empathizing, we're framing up what we are saying, that, uh, we're, we're encouraging people to push back and, and challenge. And, um, and we're entering as a, you know, a mentality, if you like, is as a thought partner and, uh, non-judgmental. We're being cautious about our words and thoughtful. And, and Scott, you were kind of saying, hey, I have to think about this before I share it so that I make sure that I don't send off people in different directions. And then when it can be useful is when people need the backing, when people need the calm, or when you've done the nemawashi, all the work beforehand, and, and your voice suddenly uh, is the stamp of approval because you've done the right work. So Lauren, Kim, Scott, I appreciate your time this morning and sharing some thoughts on this and we'll keep digging into this both individually and, uh, and maybe if we come up with some more ideas, we'll, we'll get you all back and I appreciate your time. Thank Thanks. You. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy. Mm-hmm.